Well, turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 35 through 41. And, and before I get there, um, I just want to say thanks. Uh, is he, if he's still in here, I don't see him. But Tyler, who uh, taught last week, uh, did such a, he's back in the back, did such a great job and uh, just was really convicted and challenged by uh, what he, he shared, uh, especially at the end, just saying that we are all ambassadors uh, for Christ, that we um, carry the, the hope of Jesus into the world, and we have a specific role to, to represent Jesus in this world, that even though the world um, can get darker and darker and darker, we are, are given this wonderful privilege and responsibility to bring the light and love of Jesus Christ uh, into the world. And that's what all of you guys did uh, this week, um, even though uh, you probably didn't realize it at the time, but you've been working hard and filling those college, uh, those college boxes. Um, and uh, John sent them out. And I got an email from one of our college students. And uh, you know what? The box got there just at the right time. And this is what this person said. Uh, they emailed me uh, this uh, little testimony. I just want us to be encouraged this morning. It says, I just want to reach out. Hi, Dave. I just want to reach out and say I was having a really bad day today. I have two exams coming up. And I just received a poor grade and was about ready to break down. When I got a text saying I had a package at the packaging center. I decided I need a break from studying, so I went to get the package, and when I saw the box, I cried. It was just such a good reminder that there's people in my life who do not care what grade I get. They will support me either way. I also just, it also just reminded me that my identity is not in a grade. It is in the Lord and his people who he has surrounded me with. So I just want to say thank you to whoever headed that up because it really did make an impact on me. Thanks again. Like, that is amazing. And, and I love that. I mean, it's, it's a box. Box filled with, with goodies that came at the right time and really touched this person's heart. Like having a bad day. And so I, I so admire like John Walters, you know, last year saying, hey, we should do something for the college students. Like the Holy Spirit prompting him to, to, to do this and to invite all of us into that. And then you guys going to the store and filling up those boxes and, and those boxes, like they were overflowing. Like it was amazing the amount of stuff, the amount of goodies that were in there. I mean, it wasn't healthy, but it communicated love to, to the college students. Um, but you know what? That is such a picture of like God reminding college students, God reminding all of us that he sees us, that he knows us, that he's constantly wanting to get our attention. I mean, when we think about it, like, like I think so often we take this for granted, that we have a father in heaven who longs to have a relationship with us, not just, you know, on a Sunday and then we go throughout our week, but every single day walking with us, talking with us, being there for us. Like he sees us and he knows us. Like, we, we can never forget that. Like, the songs that, that we sang uh, this morning, I think we often take them for granted. Like, oh, yeah, he loves me, he loves me. Like, do you realize who loves you? Like, the God of the universe, the one who covered this whole West Michigan area with a ton of snow, made it as white and pure as all get out. Like, that God who, who stores up the, the snow in storehouses, like, loves you, sees you, knows you, wants a relationship with you. But I know sometimes... As we go through trials, as we go through storms, like a snowstorm, we do wonder if he cares about us. Like when trials hit our lives, 
We wonder, like, do you care? Do you, do you see? And I'm always reminded of a time when I was challenged if I cared for somebody. Uh, I was reminded of that time when I see the snow because I hate driving in snowstorms. I hate snowstorms. Like, I, like I, I just feel out of control. And I remember back in 2001, Cece and I were coming back from Kansas City. We went to a conference in Kansas City, and we're there a couple days, and we drove her little Honda Civic out there, and, and the Honda Civics were a lot smaller than they are today. It was like a little tin can on wheels, and, and we drove out there, and we were driving back, and we hit this snowstorm somewhere on the way back, and I'm like, I'm going to make it through. I'm a tough guy. I'm just going to drive this little car right through this snowstorm, and we passed one of the off-ramps, and, and she's like, I think you should have taken that off-ramp. I think you should have gotten off there. I, these roads aren't safe, and I, another one came, and there were some hotels there, and I I passed that one as well, and I'm like, we're going to get home. I'm like, I'm going to do this thing, and, you know, it's whiteout conditions, and she looked at me, and she goes, don't you care about me? I'm like, that's a good question. I do, but I'm really not showing it uh, all that well right now, but sometimes I wonder, like we, like, we have that question of God. Like, we know that he loves us. We know that he sees us. We know that he, he um, sent his son Jesus for us, but sometimes, like, as we go through life, we have this question, does he really care about us? Because right now, he seems pretty silent, and he seems pretty distant. And we're going to read a really familiar passage today. And you've read it, and I'm praying that our eyes would be um, open and we would see it a little more clearly today. Um, but it's the famous story of Jesus calming the storm. And it says this, on, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey? You know, going back to the beginning, it says on that day, so that day was a full day. And if you remember, Jesus was teaching all day. He taught the parable that we talked about a couple weeks ago, the parable of the seed and, and the sower and throwing it into the ground. And he talked about the different soils. And Jesus was teaching on the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And there were so many people there that he was in a boat. And uh, so that he wouldn't get crowded out by the crowd. And so he taught all day. And at the end of that evening, he goes to his disciples and he said, let's go across to the other side. We're not going back the way that we came. We're going across to the other side. And there were boats, you know, other boats there. And so they hop into the boat. And the story goes that there was a great storm. Like in the, the original language, it's like this mega storm, this huge storm. Think of like the hurricane that we just witnessed down in Florida. Like this was a huge storm. And the Sea of Galilee is known for these type of storms. I have a picture of the, the Sea of Galilee up here. And, and you see there's, it's pretty still. But then you see those mountains that are just right around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. But there are mountains that are about 9,000 feet above sea level all around that region. 
And so this cold air from the mountains comes down to the Sea of Galilee where it's really low and, and the warm water um, heats up that air and, and it combines and it, and it creates some very fierce thunderstorms. And they can come up just like that. And these sailors who were on the Sea of Galilee, the, like these, these fishermen who had known fishing, who had experienced storms, uh, they were overwhelmed. They're like, this is a storm that we haven't experienced before. It says that they were, they were perishing. They're crying out, we're perishing. We're being destroyed. We're, go, we're going under. And I love this next picture. Uh, this was actually by uh, Rembrandt, uh, this, uh, this picture. Go ahead and hit the next one. Like, we tend to think like, okay, it's a great storm, but like we kind of minimize it probably in our minds. It wasn't that bad. But here were these sailors, these, these guys who had been fishermen who looked at this storm and they were in over their heads. They're like, we are going down. And Jesus is in the back of the boat, just chilling on a cushion. Like part of me thinks like, how can you even sleep on a cushion when the boat is going like that up and down? And so they cry out. They're like, don't you care about us? They wake him up and like, don't, they, don't you care about us? And he doesn't even address them. He looks at the wind and the waves and he says three simple words, peace, be still. And that storm turned into that. And have you ever woken up early on the, in the morning on a, on a summer morning, and you look at a lake, and it's just pure glass. I mean, that was the power of Jesus's words. Turn those crazy waves into just a smooth sea like that. And he looks at the disciples, and he says, well, why are you freaking out? And I want to say to Jesus, like, did you see the wind and the waves? That's why we're freaking out. And he says, where is your faith. And then all of a sudden, they are filled with even more fear. But it's a different fear than they had before. They are filled with awe and wonder, like, who is in the boat with us? But that question that they ask, do you care about us? I love that that question is in Scripture. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are going under, that we are being destroyed? Because that is such a real question. Like in the middle of them going across the sea, like and we have to remember like this storm came at the very moment, the very time that they were doing exactly what Jesus asked them to do. Like go back to the beginning of the story. He said, let's go across to the other side. And so they hopped in the boat. They're going across the other side. And so in our language today, you would say that they are doing exactly what Jesus wanted. They are right in the middle of God's will for their life. They didn't have to ask. They didn't have to question. Like they knew exactly what Jesus's will for their life was. And as they set off across the sea, that is when a storm hit. And I think when it comes to storms and when it comes to this whole conversation, like why do these storms rage in our lives? I think there is a misunderstanding that comes up easily. And people, I've heard it numerous times. They're like, God is getting me back for something I did. God is punishing me for something I did in college. God is punishing me for a decision that I made. And I want to tell you this morning, as clear as I can, that that is a lie from the pit of hell. And what I, why I can say that and stand confidently on that is because Jesus took the wrath of God on his shoulders, went to the cross, took all the wrath of God on him and paid the debt that we deserve and satisfied the wrath of God. And so God isn't going around the world and saying, oh, you did that. You lied on that test. You cheated on that. You told, you know, that, uh, that lie, I'm going to get you back. No, that wrath of God was satisfied when his son Jesus 
died on the cross for our sins. And so we got to get out of this thinking that bad things happen to us or we go through storms in our lives because of some decision that we made. Now, when we sin, there are consequences to our actions, but God isn't looking at us and saying, oh, I'm going to get that person back. I'm going to get that person back. No, he satisfied his wrath on the cross. But here, the disciples, they were in the middle of doing what Jesus asked them to do, and a storm came. And they asked this big question like, don't you care about us? Don't you love us? And I think we resonate with that question because we've all asked that question ourselves. Like as we look at the pain in our life, Jesus, don't you care about us? My kids are walking away from you. Don't you care? Don't you see? Jesus, that, this loved one that, that, that I just care so desperately about is, is sick and is hurting. Don't you care? Don't you see? Like, the, the problems in this world, like, Jesus, don't you care? Like, this question is a question that I know every person in this room has asked. And even before us, this question has been asked. Imagine the people who would have received the book of Mark. They were living in the first century. They were being killed for their faith. Christians, followers of Jesus, were being burned alive for their faith. They probably were asking that question, don't you care? Like, Jesus, we're living for you. Don't you care? Don't you see us? And all throughout this book, especially in the Psalms, we hear in Psalm 10, like, like, awake, God, why are you sleeping? Why did this trouble, why does this trouble continue? This question has been asked for thousands of years. And if you haven't asked that question, you will ask this question, God, don't you care? And really what's driving it from the very depths is the famous question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does God allow bad things to happen? I mean, I've said this in my life before. God, don't you care? I'm following you. I'm living wholeheartedly for you. I said we were coming back from Kansas City in 2001, 2002. Just a year before, we buried our first daughter. Like, in the midst of that time, I'm like, God, I'm living for you. I'm telling others about you. Don't you care that there's this suffering in my life? And I think the question that we have to wrestle with is, is why does Jesus allow his disciples, both then and now, to go through a storm? Why does he allow those he loves, those he cares about, his followers, why does he allow them to experience difficulty in this life? Why does he allow trouble? Because we know that he's strong enough, that with three simple words, he calmed the sea. And the disciples thought, like us, like, if Jesus loves us, he won't let us go through these storms. But here we see that Jesus allows people he loves to go through storms. And I think we have to ask the question, why? And we really have to wrestle with this question, why? Now, when I think about storms, what happens in the middle of a storm? When it's sunny and 70 degrees and just beautiful weather all the time, you tend to just kind of get complacent. You just kind of go from one place to the next. But when there's a storm, like I mentioned, driving through the storm, like there is a focus that you have. Like both hands on the wheel. I don't know if anybody else does this, but I'm like, turn off the radio. We're going through the, the snow. Like I need everything to be quiet. There is a focus that comes in the midst of the storm. But there's also a cry that comes in the midst of a storm, in the midst of difficulty, that is unlike those times of peace. 
I mean, Psalm 107, you see it like everybody is experiencing this difficulty and it says they cried out to the Lord. And that is an understatement. Like imagine, like not imagine, like go back to the times of difficulty that you have experienced. The storms in your life, the cries in the middle of a storm are a lot different than the cries when everything is just going well. There is a cry in the midst of the storm. There's a crying out to the Lord like you don't experience in times of peace and prosperity. And so we look at the storms. It makes us focus. It makes us cry out to the Lord. But we have to ask the question, God, what are you doing in the midst of a storm? And I think and I believe that there are only some things that can be learned about the Lord, about life in the midst of a storm. Can't be learned anywhere else. And I wish it wasn't the case because of the pain that I've seen people walk through in the midst of the storm. But the fruit that comes out of the storm is actually something amazingly beautiful. A couple years ago, in the early 2000s, George Barna did a little study. And I'm going to geek out for you, for you, with you a little bit here. And he studied just what stages do people go through in life? How, does, how, how do they go from one stage to the next? How does God transform a life? Like if you start like at the very beginning and you're just a little baby and you have no idea about what sin is, how does a person go from that stage to if they become fully mature as a follower of Jesus, get to this last stage where they're just living their life, pouring out their heart for the love of the world and love of, of people. You think of like actually a Mother Teresa who's just living her life completely for others. How do you go from there, there like no knowledge of sin to complete maturity? And George Barna did a little study and this is what he, uh, he uh, found out. He said there's 10 stages of transformation in a, per a person's life. 10 stages that the a person could possibly go through. The first stage is that we're all uh, start at this stage. We're unaware of sin. I think of little Mabin over there. Like she is so unaware of sin. She's just chilling with grandma. This is how we start. We're like totally unaware of sin. We're unaware that we do anything wrong. Um, this, is where every, this is where everybody starts. And George Barna said that 1% of adults stay there. They don't ever move on. Okay, so most people move on to the next stage. The next stage is this, indifferent to sin. So as you get a little bit older, you realize, okay, there's sin in this world, but many people, 16%, stay stuck here. Many people will say like, you know what? There's sin in the world. I recognize that I do bad, but I really don't care. I don't care at all. I'm just going to continue to live my life. People can go on to this next stage, stage three, where they're worried about sin. 39% of people stay stuck here. And it's this, where they're worried about sin, where they, they realize what sin is, they know that they sin, and then they start to think like, okay, what if um, my Christian friends are, are, are speaking the truth? That there is a God who cares, a God who, who um, loves me, who like deals with, with sin. Like, you know, what is my sin causing uh, those around me? It's like this third stage is those who are worried about sin. Stage four are those people who um, give their hearts to Jesus. They're forgiven of sin. This is when a person, George Barna would say, becomes a follower of Jesus. They acknowledge that they're a sinner. They're, they're a sinner. They confess Jesus as their Lord. And that is stage four in their life. And 9% of the people stay there. Five, number five. These are people who are living active in their faith. Many people who are alive in the, are living in the are members of a church. They go to small groups. They attend a Sunday gathering like this. These are people who are living their life um, 
going to different things, uh, different religious things. 24% of the people stay stuck here. And this is where it gets interesting. He goes stage six. To move on from stage five to stage six, all of a sudden people experience a holy discontent. They have been maybe in church for a long time. They start asking questions like, is this all there is? They start asking questions about, okay, why do we do church a different way, this way? What, do, what, do, what is this all about? They become uh, dissatisfied with the status quo. Like they might even go on mission trips and do different things, but they're like, no, there's got to be something more. Then they go on to stage seven, personal brokenness. This is a season of dark night of the soul where you're crying out to God and, and people, are, uh, God, people are wondering, God, are you listening to me? But then out of that comes stage eight. There is a radical dependence on the Lord. Barna would say that there are three things that need to be broken in our life. It's a love of self, a love of sin, and a love of our society, love of our world. And number seven, the stage seven, that personal brokenness going through that breaks that from our hearts and from our lives and leads us to a radical dependence, surrender to the Lord. Which leads to number nine, this intimacy with God, a close relationship with God, which eventually ends to stage 10, this love for others. Now, I want you to notice something. The way to a profound love of God and intimacy with God, a love and a love of others, you have to go through stage six and stage seven. And that is filled with suffering, filled with darkness. But so often in the church and so often in my life, I want to shield people from suffering. I don't want them to go through that. Or even if they're in the midst of, of that dark night of the soul, even if they're struggling in their faith, I want to hurry them through that. Like get on from it. Like life is going to be okay. But suffering is the very thing that George Barner realized. Suffering is the thing that God uses to produce growth in our lives. And scripture says this all throughout scripture. I want to read just uh, some scripture and I want you to see this because this is not just what George Barner realized. This is what the word of God says. Turn to Romans chapter 5. And these are verses I want you to have in your back pocket because when you're going through difficulty, when you're going through dark times, when you're shouting out, God, don't you care? I think the question that we also have to ask is, God does care, but God, what are you doing in me? How do you want to grow me? Paul is writing this. In Romans 5, he says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, just like we have never sinned, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace, into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I mean, that's the very foundation of our faith. Like that is an amazing passage. We have peace with God. We have unlimited access to him through Jesus Christ. We have so much peace and hope in the glory of God that is to come. But then Paul says this, not only that, like, like you're thinking like this is going to get better and better and better. But he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Say what, Paul? Rejoice in our sufferings? Why is Paul able to rejoice in the sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
No, we are justified. We have a right standing with God through Jesus Christ. But God will allow us to go through suffering. And Paul says you need to rejoice in your sufferings. Why? Because without suffering, you will never, the the hope of Jesus Christ will never be produced in us. One of the things that I realize about suffering, and I never rejoiced in suffering. Like that's something that I need to grow in. Like when suffering comes, I'm never like, woohoo. No, it's hard. But as I look at this, I'm like, the hope that comes in the midst of, of suffering, that can only produce as we go through hard times. And I look at the storms in my life, and the thing that has been produced in me as I look back and reflect is that I long for the things of heaven. Like this life, this world, I love the life that I have and, and the opportunities I have, but I so have a craving for heaven because of the suffering that I've experienced, the trials that I've gone through. I know that this world is not my home and suffering, as difficult as it is, helps us realize that. I mean, I don't want to live in the midst of this junk forever where there's crying and there's tears. It gives me a longing for so much more, but it also breaks me off of my self-reliance. Turn to 2 Corinthians 1. Paul again says something about suffering. 2 Corinthians 1. He says this, for we, in verse 8, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, We do not want you to be aware, brothers and sisters, of this affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. I mean, Paul's situation is pretty dark. Again, he thought he was going to die and, and he was beyond himself. But he says this, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. I love that Paul said, like, we went through that so that we'll not, we will not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Go back to those, those fishermen in the boat as they're going through the storm. They probably thought, oh, I will put our faith in this boat, or, you know, we know what to do. But they went through that storm so that their eyes were off of themselves and they couldn't rely on themselves, but the one who was with them sleeping in the boat. Storms have a way of breaking off pride from our lives and self-reliance in our lives because there are things that we go through that we can't get through on our own power, that we have to rely on God. Look at James 1. Flip over a couple more pages to James chapter 1. Two more passages because this is actually, this perspective on suffering is actually all throughout Scripture. James says this, Count it all joy, James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, here James is saying, like, consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Again, I've never come across a person who's like filled with joy when they come across trials. But James says this, trials produce a steadfastness that eventually lead to maturity so that you're lacking in nothing. This is God's desire for you and I, that we would be growing, that we would grow up into maturity. 
And James says this, the only way through maturity is through suffering because that produces a steadfastness, which eventually leads to maturity, lacking in nothing. And then one more, 1 Peter 1. Again, Peter, like the others, they set the foundation of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he says this, Blessed be God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. And if we stop there, we're like, okay, in this we rejoice. That's awesome that we have been given a living hope, that we have been given a a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that is waiting. But then Peter goes on and he says this, in that you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And these trials that we go through, they grieve our heart. But what does Peter say is the purpose? We go through those. We're grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is something that comes as we go through trials, as we go through pain, as our faith is tested that it's refined, it's more precious than gold, but that as it's tested, it becomes genuine. And when I've sat down with people who are at the end of their life or those mature faith, those mature saints, there is such a depth and genuine faith. And always, it's the result of them going through the fires of life, through the trials, where their faith has become genuine. And that is what the Lord is after in our hearts, that our faith would be genuine, that our faith would be pure. Like Jesus talked about that in the seeds. He's like, many are going to like, they're going to sprout up and then persecution and trials are going to come and they're going to like fade away. They're going to be overwhelmed by the, the trials. And Jesus wants us to have a faith that is genuine, a faith that is strong. And that can only happen as we are tested and tried by the fiery trials of this world. Peter is writing to a group of believers who again were being persecuted for their faith. And they're saying, put your hope in Jesus, but you are going to be tried by fire. You're going to, be, you're going to go through trials, but that's going to prove that your faith is genuine. See, trials and storms produce something in our lives. There's only some things that we can be learned in the storms of life. And so we go back to that question, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care about us? Don't you see us? Don't you, don't you recognize what is going on? And to that question I, that we all ask, I would ask us to remember who is with you in the boat. I mean, where was Jesus in this situation? This is not a trick question. Like he was with them in the boat. Isaiah 43, what we opened up this time together with this morning. He says, never will I leave you. Never for, will I forsake you. I go through those, those uh, waters with you. Jesus is with us, but he's also doing something in us that can only be produced in the storm. And so we have to ask the question as we're going through trials, God, what do you want to do in me? But I'd also say, and I'll leave it at this. We also must ask the question, God, what do you want to do through me? Because this came to my attention this week. In Mark 4, we read the account and there were other boats with them. And my mind went there. Like there were other boats with him. Like what was going on in those boats? Like what were they thinking? They didn't have Jesus in their boat. 
And they were in the midst of this storm, like being tossed to and fro, like all over the place. And they didn't have Jesus in their boat, which led me to think like, why does God allow people who don't know him to go through storms? Why does difficulty come into their life? Well, you know what? It's an opportunity for us to display the hope that we have in Jesus. It's an opportunity for us to come alongside, like that boat, like with all the other boats, it's an opportunity for us to come alongside and say, you know what? I am with you in the midst of this. And Jesus in me is with you in the midst of this. To come alongside of people in their mess and walk with them in the midst of their storm and point them to Jesus because there's something that happens in the midst of a storm that gets people attention, people's attentions off of this world and into eternity and, and that reality. They start asking those big questions and we have such a powerful opportunity to step into that and say, I know life is so tough and so difficult but let me introduce you to the one who has overcome it all. And his name is Jesus. We have an opportunity to grow in the midst of the storms, but we also have a huge opportunity to point others to the one who's with us, to Jesus, as they go through the storms in their life. And so as we wrap up, I want us to bow our heads. And we're going to sing this song, It Is Well. It's a song that was written in the midst of a storm. As the writer lost his wife and kids, but he was able to say, it's well with my soul because I have Jesus. And so I want you to reflect on the storms in your life, the different moments of pain that you have experienced. And I want to, I want you to ask and just pray. God, show me where you were at in the midst of that. Jesus, show me where you were at. Show me what you were doing. Show me how you're growing me. Show me, how you're te- show me what you're teaching me. But I also want you to think about those who are going through storms in their life right now. And I want you to ask, how are you to walk alongside of them? John 1.14 says, Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood is what message translation says. And it's such a beautiful picture of Jesus moving towards us. And like Jesus, we are invited to move towards others in their mess and to tell them of the hope that we have in Jesus. And not coming preaching, but to come alongside and listen and care. I want us to ask the Lord to give us that boldness and that strength to do that, that we would enter those messes and not shy away. Jesus, I thank you and I praise you that you are with us. I thank you for the picture that we see of you in the midst of this storm that that you're the one who has the power to calm the wind and the waves. That Jesus, you are over it all. And frankly, Jesus, that's what we need as we're going through the storms of our lives. We need to see a clear picture of you. We need to know that you're our comforter, that you're our provider, that you're our strength. And so I ask that you would reveal that to us. But others need to see that as well. And so as we go throughout our days this week, give us the boldness to step into messy situations and point others to you, Jesus. And I just thank you that you love us so much. It's in your name I pray. Amen.